This is the Wes and Walker Show. This is Wes. I mean, seriously, I this happened 20 seconds ago, and then Wes just decides in the distance to give us this kind of show cry to start off. It's Wes. Oh, let's go, baby. Let's get it going. Come on. And Walker. Out of nowhere. I mean, I look like a pansy, to be honest with you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Fiddy said, that scared me. I said that scared the bleep out of me. He said the same thing. Panthers Monday tonight. The Carolina Panthers will take aim at the New Orleans Saints at the bank. So uh, we've been gauging the excitement today from the fans on the text line. Keep them coming. 704-570-9610. But it does sound very, very uh, bleak if you let the fans tell it right now. So uh, we'll see, though. Keep the text coming. Hit those follow buttons on social media, mainly the Wesson Walker show page on Twitter. We'll leave it at that for now, man. Just go hit the follow button there. Check out the content that we put there for you uh, each and every day. And now it is time to go to the campus corner. All right. We talked about it just a little bit, but uh, Colorado Buffaloes, I made it till near, near the fourth quarter, but I couldn't fight the good fight. They win 43-35 over Colorado State in a game that was vicious, nasty, contentious, but a spectacle all in the same breath. Lil Wayne led the Buffaloes out of the tunnel. The Rockets on the sideline. Offset is doing interviews Mm. from the Migos, promoting singles on the sideline. It was like Los Angeles, the Lakers in their heyday uh, out there in Boulder, Colorado. Shador Sanders goes 348, four touchdowns, led the game-winning drive to get them two overtime and then won the game for the Buffaloes. And uh, this is just becoming one of the great stories. I was telling one of my friends, I said, man, I don't know that I've ever been excited by anything in college football as much as I am with this. It's just a breath of fresh air, what it's going to mean for the game and just what he's going to do to college football, man. If they keep their winning ways going, he's flipped college football on his head in a way that's going to be unrivaled. We talked about this, the TV ratings for this program. I heard on the 60 Minutes report, they said that merchandise sales are up 800%. The transfer portal, he's going to rule the transfer portal. Every kid in America is going to want to go and play for Coach Prime. This has just been fantastic when we get caught up, as I've said from the beginning, every year the same teams in the college football playoffs, though I enjoy it. And then you get one surprise team every now and again. But this is definitely the shot in the arm that college football needs. It has them in the national consciousness. Everybody's talking about it every single week. The tickets, everything you want to say, man. So with that said, Walker, did you enjoy the game this weekend? And just your thoughts uh, to reiterate on Colorado football. Well, I'm going to have to keep it a buck with you. Did not watch this game, certainly (laughs) in its entirety. I was watching other things, and then it was a long weekend for me, so I was not about to stay. You said that game Wait, the game was on and you were watching other stuff? Well, I was probably sleeping, to be honest with you. I was watching things. Clown show. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) I will do that. It was a very busy weekend for me, but I did catch it at the end or afterwards. And yeah, it was, I I mean, it was crazy exciting. Here's my problem. Travis Hunter goes down with this injury. We know Mm -hmm. about the cheap shot. We can talk about that a little bit more, but they've got a tough schedule coming up. And so now I wonder, all right, there's a lot of winning going on with Colorado. 
State beat up on TCU, who doesn't have a good defense. They were able to separate themselves in the second half against Nebraska. They beat Colorado State. So this has been extremely fun to watch. But now I wonder if they take a step back because of some of these other opponents that they have here, Wes. Missing one of the best players. It's the other one outside of Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter, even though a Shiloh steps up. Really cool to see him. What do you make of Colorado's upcoming schedule and whether this thing is going to last as far as the type of popularity they have right now? The thing I will say when you look at Colorado, man, is I think that the way Dion coaches his kids, uh, I think when you and – and I talk about it all the time when I watch the Amazon program that they have with Jackson State. He coaches them in an old-school way that has those kids really playing football with accountability. It has them playing football with a with a fear of their coach, a healthy fear of their coach. Like, hey, I need to get out here and make sure I'm doing what I'm doing. Assignment sound football so that coach is not on my behind. And so I think when you factor that in, I feel like this team is going to be in a lot of games. They have one of the best players in the country in Shador Sanders. And when you look at losing Travis Hunter, of course it's going to hurt them. But this is a guy that spreads the football around, okay? You're talking about Travis Hunter, second on the team currently with 14 catches, but he's not even the leading receiver on this team. That's Xavier Weaver, who has 16 catches for 288 yards. Then you have Jimmy Horn Jr. that's got 19 catches for 181 yards. And then Dylan Edwards is also a threat coming out of the backfield, so I feel like he will be missed. But Shadour, to me, is a lemonade quarterback to where he will take any of the lemons you give him and make lemonade. He's not a guy that needs to play with four- and five-star receivers. He proved out with what he did at Jackson State. He's proving it now at Colorado. He can do it at any level you want to do it. So I think that they will be just fine. And so that's the interesting part. These games are going to be a lot of fun. Do I think they run the gauntlet? No. But I think they're going to win their share of games. And I'll be frank. I think this team has potential to really go far. I think they have New Year's Six bowl game potential, maybe even college football playoff potential, but we'll see. Yeah, Oregon on the road, USC right after that, Arizona State, Stanford, but then it's UCLA ranked in the top 25 right now as well as Oregon State before they finish up with a couple of ranked teams at the end because the Pac-12 is actually playing well as a conference before Mm -hmm. it ceases to exist after what we're going to see from these last stands from some of these Pac-12 teams. So, yeah, unfortunate that the conference is going out like this, but it is going to make for an interesting year, at least while it does exist. All right, when we go look at the landscape of college football around the state of North Carolina, the Tar Heels beat Minnesota. Duke trounced Northwestern at home. Wake Forest had to come back from 17 down to beat Old Dominion on the road. NC State got a blowout win over VMI expectedly. So when you look at it, and then the Charlotte 49ers took a tough, tough loss to Georgia State. But when you look at the local teams around here, especially when you're talking ACC, Power 5, etc., who do you think is the best team in North Carolina right now after three games? Yeah, I'm not going to change my answer from last week. It's it's still the Duke Blue Devils to me. They have still the best win. Well, yeah, we had asked what was the second best team in the ACC, but this is best in the state. Go ahead. And I'll, I'll yes. Let's go. I just want to make sure you didn't, the, the, 
Texas or the listeners didn't think we were asking the same well, question. Well, no, I went Duke within the ACC. I'll, I'll go Duke with the best team in the Carolinas. I, I think after the way that they were able to cruise by Northwestern with no problem, Riley Leonard with close to 100 yards rushing, but also a couple of rushing touchdowns, and you have him being able to throw the ball to a Calhoun who also went for over 100. There's nothing to keep me away from saying Duke is the best team in the Carolinas. UNC struggled with App State Week 2. I do like the way they were able to perform against Minnesota for the most part. Ugly interceptions. We'll get to a Drake May conversation at the end, but also some big-time plays on third and long, like third and 11, third and 12, touchdown dimes that you're getting from Drake May. And the defense, while they haven't been accumulating a lot of sacks like they did against South Carolina with the Gamecocks having a bad offensive line, those interceptions were pressure, and they had two sacks against Minnesota and both of the turnovers on those throws that Carolina had. It was because they were able to make the quarterback feel uncomfortable in the pocket. So the defense, while it might not be as good as they were week one, let's not get it too twisted in my opinion to say they're as bad as they were last year because it can only go up from what they were last year. They were so poor. Duke is still number two, uh, the best team in the Carolinas. Duke number two in the ACC. I would agree with you as well. They've got UConn coming up this week. They should move to 4-0. Riley Leonard, as we said, maybe not the gaudy numbers that we would expect from him, but he's still getting it done, and he's got Duke uh, in the top 25, and they're playing really good football. And you look at what, what he did Saturday. Not the gaudiest numbers in the world, 219 yards passing, but 97 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. He had a couple of sick runs. He talked about how he was going to go apologize to his receivers after the game because he wants to get them to ball more, get them some more touchdowns. So I think those passing numbers are going to come. I think Duke has been doing, uh, you know, what they need to do as far as offensively. That running game, Jordan Waters and the crew, they look really good. But they still have the best win of any of the teams in this state so far because North Carolina's undefeated. The Demon Deacons are undefeated. NC State's 2-1. and one. They played a very good Notre Dame team. But Duke right now still has on their resume they knocked off a then top 10 Clemson. We're going to find out where Clemson is at this point on Saturday with the nose coming to town. But I'm going to go with Duke as well. Fitty, do you have an answer in here as well? I, I would still go with Duke just because the way that it, it, it looks, right? They, they've looked more complete. They've looked more, I guess, whole, if you will, as a team because Carolina's score margin, very impressive on Saturday. 31-13, really controlled the game throughout, but in theory, the game should have been over at halftime. Um, and that's what, you know, Duke has done to teams outside of the Clemson game where they had to win the game in the second half. So I still think when the two teams meet in November, North Carolina will beat them. But today, I have no problem saying that Duke's looked better through three weeks. All right. So now when we move on and talk about the Charlotte 49ers, Coach Pogey, man, the bravado that we heard at the beginning of the season starting to temper down just a little bit. This defense has allowed 1,093 total yards and 79 points in the last two games. The offense is yet to break the 20-point threshold against an FBS program. I mean, Saturday, when you talk about the game against Georgia State, 566 total yards surrendered and 41 points, including 461 yards through the air, 14.4 yards per attempt. I mean, that's like us going out there playing pitch and catch with one another. 243 of those yards came after the catch. So that means you're not tackling anybody. Okay. So when you look at this experiment with Coach Posey, he's brought in all these players. He pretty much flipped the defense around, all new personnel. How patient should Charlotte fans be? Where's Walker Mail today with the Coach Pogey air, and how patient do you want to tell 
49er Nation to be with Coach Poach? Um, I'm still patient after just three games, but also I didn't want the defense to perform like they did. The offense playing the way it did, I'm not too terribly surprised. We know how bad the offense had been even in their opening win at the beginning of the season. But with their defense allowing 41 points, 466 yards passing, only six incompletions, Wes, and they're throwing the ball way downfield. 97-yard touchdown reception, 78-yard reception for Lewis and Williams for Georgia State. You had two guys that went for over 220 yards, 129, and the ball was spread out. It's not like they were just picking on one specific matchup. They're going across the board, and there wasn't a lot of pressure on Georgia State. So, yeah, that was a bad defensive performance that I certainly did not expect. Offensively, you have an interesting quarterback battle with Trexler Ivy and Jalen Jones. Ivy, a much better passer than what we've seen from Jalen Jones. I know Biff Pogey not exactly thrilled with the way that he was taking sacks, but Ivy is more accurate. If he does have time in the off, but with the offensive line, I think he will find the open man and was hitting some guys in stride, did have the interception, but also had a touchdown pass. The offense is going to be interesting to see here, Wes, but defensively, oh boy, Biff Pogey went scorched earth after this game with a lot of the comments. Not happy at all with his coaching staff. Yeah, and I think that this is a program Charlotte fans, they still need to be patient with them. I still think it will take a coach a couple of years, get some more talent in, get those guys ingrained into the system. So I think for him, even though he had a lot of roster turnovers, it's still going to take this team some time. And frankly, they just don't have the quarterback play right now to really uh, give people that, that scare that they need and to support the defense a little bit more. And I think it's kind of wash, rinse, repeat. And I think that's why we prompted this question to be able to ask that because it's like it feels like it's wash, rinse, repeat with what you had last year from this team, just bad defense not enough offense and so it looks like it's turning that way and you can't really blame it on will healy recruits because this has been an all-new set of guys that he has brought in but i still think charlotte fans should be patient i think this is a good coach for this job and i think they'll figure things out because he said he wants to make things simple we'll see as the games come and then the Clemson Tigers, lastly, they finished plus three in the turnover margin. They won a turnover margin for the first time this season because we know that's been big trouble for them. And for the first time since the ACC championship game, they have four takeaways. K Club Nick have four uh, total touchdowns on the day or TDR, whichever you prefer. But did this win Saturday make us feel like that they learned that they learned their lesson from the Duke loss and that they're ready for FSU come Saturday at noon? I don't know if they learned their lesson at all. I'm just glad that they were able to take care of business. I think if there's any lesson that they learned, it's to not allow Charleston Southern to stay in the game, right? Like Florida Atlantic, you put them away early. You get off to what in the first half is a 34 to nothing lead. Okay, good. Now we can chill a little bit in the second half. Maybe even Clemson, you don't want to chill because of the way that this season has gone on. But in week two, we were all on upset alert for Clemson and then possibly falling to 0-2 to start the season before they go crazy in the second half enough to score close to 60 points if there's any lesson i think they learned from what happened in week two because they were able to just put florida atlantic away right off the rip you let Cade klubnik cruise you sit him hunter helms goes in and throws a couple of passes three touchdowns for klubnik had a 90 qbr so no bad interceptions like we saw from week two yeah i think clemson was able to just okay we're, we're back in the sense that we're not going to flirt with some of these lower tier teams but i still don't have a ton of confidence when they go up against big boys yeah after 
scoring only seven points against Duke, they've scored at least 40 points in consecutive times for the first time since last season's games against Louisiana Tech and Wake Forest. But to answer your question, hell no, because they haven't played anybody right. yet. So, no, I'm, I'm not buying it yet. I want to see them play against good competition and see how it turns out because we know K. Klubnick, the bad mistakes that he made against Charleston Southern – of course, it came out against Florida Atlantic. That game was just, it looked like a scrimmage from the beginning. They just dominated that game from the first snap until the last. I'm not buying any of it. They definitely were uh, well above their class when you talk about Clemson in comparison to Florida Atlantic. So, no, this Saturday is the tail of the tape. Where's Clemson? Are they a really good team like we thought they could be coming into the season? Or is this a team that's a fraud and is going to go to a lower-tier bowl and people are going to really start to develop questions about what the Clemson program is? But when we come back, one of the segments that you guys love, Walker and I rank the 10 best players for Panther Saints tonight. That and more on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wesson Walker getting you ready for the Monday night football matchup between the Panthers and the Saints tonight at Bank of America Stadium. We got Matt from the Gas House. He rode in, just drove by BOA and the Dog House. Lots of things popping already. Can't wait for the game tonight. Definitely want to see us win. Good things popping, little things stopping. Yes, word to TI. Hopefully, mm-hmm. everything will continue to look uh, positively for Carolina, at least as far as the turnout goes. Hopefully, the environment, people will be there in support of the Carolina Panthers as they take on the Saints. And so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of environment that is and whether Bryce Young puts out a good performance in what is his second ever game. But his first ever home performance that we'll see on a national stage. We want to hear from you, as always, 704-570-9610. You can tell us about what your thoughts are on tonight's game. You can also tell us about your thoughts on our top 10 list. Because this is what we've been doing, I guess, the last couple of years now. We're bringing it back. After last year, every single game, we would rank the top 10 players participating in the game. So that would mean no J.C. Horn, for instance, in this matchup because he's not going to be playing. But the top 10 players performing in tonight's game that we will see, top 10 players from the Saints and the Panthers, you can tell us who we missed, what kind of order is wrong, if I win, if I beat Wes, (laughs) vice versa, how whatever you want to send us. Let's go ahead and start it right now. I'll give you the floor first here, Wes. When it comes to the top three players that will be participating in this game tonight, how does the order shake out for you? The order shakes out for me. I'm going to start with – I'm going to go reverse order, so I'm going to start with three. Uh, My number three is Chris Olave, uh, the great young receiver for the New Orleans Saints. Mm -hmm. First game, he had eight catches, 112 yards. We know that he's one of the better young receivers in the game. Number two, I'm going to go with Brian Burns uh, coming out of the gates hot. One of the best young pass rushers in the game. There's no question about that. Can he repeat, get those sack numbers up even more tonight? But number one, got to go with the OG, the vet, Demario Davis, multiple-time pro bowler. This is a guy that's one of the most dominant players in the NFL. He's currently sitting as the NFL's number one linebacker, according to PFF, with a 90.7 grade. Mr. Consistency and also the swag on field is off the chain with his arm sleeves and all the dope stuff that he wears. Give me DeMario Davis, old double D, number one. Not 
a lot of change for me. There is some, but all the same players. Mm -hmm. I've got Brian Burns, number one. I have him number one on this list. Especially after what we saw, if we're just going to specifically keep it to 2023, what we saw in week one, I thought Brian Burns at a premium position helped wreck that game for the Atlanta Falcons from a throwing standpoint. Not okay. only was he, well, not only did he create a lot of pressure, he got home, had one and a half sacks. You're also talking about drawing holding penalties. You're also talking about drawing false starts. You're also talking about him providing pressure and then allowing Derek Brown to get home, you know, splitting that sack, of course, with Frankie Louvu. Burns was monstrous in this game at a premium position give me him number one overall i have demario davis number two and i was trying to do the whole all right do i go ahead and put chris alave at two and do the shaquille o'neal thing getting the top 50 greatest players of all time uh was he on that list even though he was only playing a year right like we're projecting with Shaq at that time we're projecting with chris alave but the dude's really good with all that being said, I decided to give more respect to the vet. I think you're right. Demario Davis in coverage, even at his age, I think he's 34 years old right now. I'll go Demario Davis at number two, and then I'll go Chris Olave at number three, picking up right where he left off. Over 100 yards receiving. I expect him to have a monster year this year with a better quarterback in Derek Carr than what they had last year in Andy Dalton, even though he was pretty good. Those are my top three. Brian Burns, one. Demario Davis, two. Chris Alave, number three. What you got for us, Wes? How you put Demario Davis at two, man? Uh, I do we have. Are we gonna fight over one spot difference? Yeah. You you have Demario Davis number you one. You almost put Alave over him. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we have one spot difference, and Wes is about to blow a gasket. <laughs> this is how serious no, rank, no, no, no. rank wars is about to be real. All here. right, so we're going four, five, six. Uh, my four is uh, Derek Carr. Uh, oh my God! Now we know what he brings to the table. Derek Carr, number four. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I got Derek Carr. See, even four. Fitty, your own ally, <laughs> is surprised to see Derek Carr number four. Well, All right, go ahead. I mean, that's fine. You guys can, you know, have your opinions about it. But at the end of the day, the guy's a multi-time Pro Bowler. He completed sixty-nine percent of his passes in that first game for three hundred and five yards, and he got the W. If we're okay? going to do the PFF thing, he was the eighteenth-ranked quarterback last week. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> Uh, that is all right. That is all of that the league. Scarfing. That is not That's for, okay. yeah, that is, that is not for Carolina and New Orleans top right. 10 players. Uh, number five, got to go with the OG Cam Jordan, uh, as well. The defensive end, he is definitely a dominant player. We know everything that he's done in his career. And then Derek Brown, number six. All right, so I'm going to go with Derek Brown coming in at number four. I think he's in for a monster year. I think you talk about picking up where you left off. There are some people. That didn't think Derek would be playing as well as he did last year after only showing us one season, for sure. And it's only week one. It doesn't mean that Derek is 100% now confirmed he is that dude. But, man, I thought he played well in the pass rush game, specifically against Atlanta. I don't think it matters. Whether Nine tackles was impressive. Yeah, inside, outside, Wes. Like, you you brought that up, and I same thing. Had the sack from the inside. Okay, so love what Derek Brown's able to do. I've got Cam Jordan. I'm going to still put respect on his name. I think that this is someone that I continue. I, I expect him to drop off and still, even still putting out good performances and just one of the more underrated pass rushers of the last decade. Have I said, so I've got cam Jordan coming in at number five, right behind Derek Brown there at number four. And then I'm going to give some love to an offensive lineman. How about Ryan Ramchak? Okay. O on an offensive line where he's not getting a lot of help. I think Ramchak is up there and can help you out quite a bit 
where you're starting to maybe even cheat to the right side a little bit more because of what he can provide. Trevor Penning struggling on the left side. So I've got Ryan Ramchek at number six on this top 10 list. Okay. If we want to go, what are we going to go, 7, 8, 9, or are we going to go 7 through 10? Go 7 through 10. Okay. Uh, number seven, Frankie Louvu. Love everything that he brings to the table. Still want to see that coverage get a little bit better from him. But as far as just being a disruptor, of offenses he is definitely up there uh he absolutely was on his game uh last week only three solo tackles though but still five total tackles but he had that half a sack and he got back then was a little disruptive then Marshawn Lattimore fought one of the better corners in the league for the last four or five seasons this guy is one of the more consistent players uh so I like Marshawn Lattimore in there at eight then I'm gonna go with Carl Granderson uh number nine this is a guy that Right now has a sack and mm. a half uh, already that he had last week and a tackle for law. So he's a disruptive player as well. And then my 10th, I kind of wrestled a little bit. I wanted to throw Brian Bersi in there for what I think he will do. But got to give it to Hayden Hurst, man. He came out there and uh, showed and proved in his first game. Got Bryce Young's first touchdown and was a consistent target, reliable target for Bryce Young. Okay, so I've got Marshawn Lattimore number seven. Lattimore... After that 2017 Defensive Rookie of the Year award that he won, uh, he's been up and down at times, but I think for the most part, he's good. Uh, He'll have some bad games, but Lattimore is still someone that you feel very good about being that number one corner on your team. And I have it switched with you. I don't know if you're going to be as bad as having Demario Davis one spot away from what you have, (laughs) but I do have Frankie Luvu coming in at number eight. That's longevity for me. Uh, Just benefit of the doubt to Lattimore. Been a better player for longer, Mm -hmm. even if we love what Luvu can bring. I do have Luvu just one spot behind a Marshawn Lattimore. And the last few, that got tough for me. The last couple. Because, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. I tried to keep Derek Carr off this list <laughs> because I wanted to see the smoke. I wanted to see <laughs> what everybody had to say. And I almost was able to do it. I'll go Taylor Moat number nine. Come on, man. Come on. Walt, come on. What are you going to put it over him? Come on, man. You putting Taylor Moat over Derek Carr? Yeah. I am going to put Derek, Taylor Moten over Derek Carr. All right. You be on the soup line real fast as a GM. Let me tell you that. You be at my house sleeping on the couch after having a GM job. Look, man, I'm not going to pay $30 million for the 18th best QB in the game. I'm going to pay top notch for a right tackle that's been one of the highest graded pass blockers in all the NFL for the last five years. I'll do that. But here's the thing. You're willing to overpay Brian Burns, who's not the 18th best pass rusher. He's definitely higher in the NFL than that. Yeah. Yeah, because he's 38th right now, according to PFF, but if we want to get technical. If you want to get technical. So, look, you <laughs> you defended your Jared Goff hate very admirably last December. Explain why Derek Carr, who's going to be the best quarterback on the field tonight, mm-hmm. arguably the best quarterback in the division, why he is not among the 10 best players. And Taylor Moten, a right tackle, yep. not a left tackle. I got a couple right tackles in a, there. A Shout right, out to the right side. Gets disrespected. 35th currently. Folks. Yeah, a, a, a right tackle oh, is ranked higher. Oh, out of a higher. lot more position, like out of a lot more out tackles. Of well, there's, yeah. I get it. So, I mean, look, the floor is yours. <laughs> it, it, explain, explain the logic. So, Derek Carr last year, if you look at what he did with the Raiders, had the most red zone turnovers of any other QB in the NFL. And that's just something I can't get behind when you shrink in those types of moments. And also Derek Carr, I do expect, look, I think Derek Carr is an above average quarterback. 
I think that's somebody that you can win with. I think that he is a top 10 player on this list. I've got him number 10. I've got Taylor Moten at number nine, but I've got Derek Carr at number 10. So I don't think he's a bad player by any means, but I don't think we've seen enough for me to say that Derek Carr is somebody that's like, yeah, that's somebody that you really have to fear. I just, there are times where you are leaving that game wanting more from that QB. I think he's in that same range of a Jared Goff, of a Kirk Cousins, of, yeah, maybe he's even the worst out of those three. Like, Jared Goff has been playing well. He had his interception streak broken in this game, but it doesn't mean he's an outright bad quarterback. How would you rank those guys, Wes? Like, out of Kirk Cousins, Goff Jared Cousins, Goff, Goff Cousins, Carr? I go based off what I've heard. It might be I go Carr. cousins one. Yeah. Car two golf three. Okay. I'm surprised. Ooh. I thought you might have Jared golf. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because I, I call me stupid. I, I'd have golf over both of them. Well, you can put golf because and it's debatable because golf did make a super bowl. So I get that. He and he had the third bowl. longest streak without an interception that now it ended yesterday, but mm -hmm. you know, what do we know? I just, <laughs> it, it Walker and the, the bagel guy brought it up. Walker willing to overpay a guy like PJ Washington, but brings up money when Derek Carr is definitely more valuable than it's some of these. Almost like they're different sports. Their yeah. numbers are very similar when you compare them from a career standpoint, too. Who? Carr and Golf. They're very oh, yeah. Similar. No, they I both agree. have about a two to one interception to touchdown ratio, 65% passing guys. So they're very similar. Yeah, no, it's exactly why I brought him up. Like, look, you're you're talking about just for last year. I don't like Josh McDaniels uh, as a coach, so I'm willing to take that excuse on 100. percent If you want to say, hey, he's going to play better somewhere else, but we've seen like, a decent amount of offensive systems now for Derek Carr, and I thought he was going to be the real deal in what was his second year, I believe, or his third year with the Raiders. He was before he, he broke his leg. Yeah, and mm -hmm. Derek Carr after that. I think he's been good, you know, in spots. I think he's above average. I think you can win with him. But this isn't somebody that week in and week out you think, whew, buddy, that is a QB that I would love to pay $30 million a year. That's just not what I want to do with that quarterback. And I think that's fair. But y'all are going to get mad at me for putting Taylor Moten above him. Not as mad as this 7-4 number is, but, you know, it's all good. Wes, you're the only football man in the studio. Oh, you know how that. good Derek Carr is. <laughs> Your partner, however, is a clown. And tomorrow he will be eating his words about Derek Carr. Oh, no, Derek Carr clown show. might just beat Carolina. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I mean, he's hedging his bets. Is there any way just he could I don't change have him top 10? <laughs> I do have him top 10. What I if he goes 10. off, goes like 350, four tuds. I have number 10, yeah. I have him number 10. Yeah, I mean, 10, 10's just too low, especially when you have, I mean... Yeah, Taylor Moten. Behind Taylor... That's Taylor, Taylor Moten mm -hmm. might be the most overpaid right tackle in football. <laughs> name him. Well, I mean... <laughs> name, the, name the company he's in. If we're talking <laughs> most overpaid right tackles in football, please. I, I, I mean, like, you know, he's like in Lael Collins territory. Okay. But, you know... I just... Yeah, or look. Mike McGlinchey. Oh, yeah, God. <laughs> All right, Mike McGlinchey, he's one of the top uh, paid... I'm right yeah, he's that, he might be the highest paid right tackle after that deal he got with Denver. But not worth it is what you're saying. Yeah, not yeah worth that's why the 49ers sent him packing. Yeah, Get right. out of here. All right. So, yeah, that's the list. You can tell us what our list, uh, if you believe Wes, if you think that he should be winning that game or if I win because Derek Carr is number 10. But we're going to be doing it again. Like when we get to the mediocre quarterbacks in the NFL and I don't have them in the top 10 and Wes does, we'll have this debate on repeat. Next have, week with Geno Smith, right? Oh, man. Well, I'm sure we will, because he's he had Derek Carr four. Uh, yeah, like come on.
car's good, man. No, you were surprised as soon as you heard. Four, okay, four was high, but ten is too low. Just telling you. I, so you would have had him nice in the middle, Fiddy, huh? Yeah, I mean, probably, I mean, I definitely would have had him above two right tackles. Let me tell you that. I mean, the, the slander for offensive linemen is a little. Well, for right tackles, you know, I can see putting a franchise quarterback ahead of right tackles. Yeah, franchise. Yeah, Raiders didn't view him as a franchise QB anymore. Okay, but he still gave him some really good years. And, and we know we know what saying. the Raiders represent as All far right. as dysfunction, right. not very smart football-wise uh, guy. All right, I'm going with the franchise right tackle. That's what I'm rolling with, and that's Taylor Bowen. <laughs> we'll take a quick, a quick break, but we will go to the first Fitty Flash of the day before we take that break. Go ahead, Fitty, what you got? It's all right to be little Fitty. A little hometown or a big old city. Might as well share, might as well smile. I I thought about playing the Titanic music here, but I didn't know how appropriate it was going to be. The Tampa Bay Rays are expected to announce the completion of a new deal for a stadium in St. Petersburg tomorrow. A 30,000 dome that's going to cost about $1.2 billion. This all but puts an end to the chances of them, A, leaving the Tampa Bay area and B this has been the one team that we have identified if they were to leave could leave could could relocate to Charlotte yep am happy though for that Rays fan base they're they, they clinched their fifth straight playoff berth yesterday they're going to get a state-of-the-art facility but if we want baseball in Charlotte and what the Charlotte flight I think is what we named them when we did the the best names for a baseball team in Charlotte. It was a Charlotte chicken biscuit. <laughs> or, or, the, or the dollar hamburgers after today. Yeah. We'd be stealing the Montgomery biscuits nickname, but I'd be okay. We could make it a different or a very specific biscuit. Yeah, I wonder the what their biscuits. concession stands look like. But no, I'm happy for the Rays, and they deserve it. And I'm definitely going to be rooting for them when the playoffs come. You want them here in Charlotte, don't you, Fitty? I mean, look, that we adopted them all the way back in April, mm-hmm. um, and then we unadopted them in about June when they started playing bad. It appears if we're going to get baseball in Charlotte, we need expansion. And we still seem to be left out of that because Nashville is the city in the southeast they have identified as the expansion city. All right, so here we are talking about a couple of NFC South teams with the Carolina Panthers and the New Orleans Saints. Let's check out what the Falcons and Tampa Bay did this past weekend around the NFC South. It's coming up next on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The pressure of the Panthers dealing with after Atlanta and Tampa Bay moved to 2-0. You can tell us at 704-570-9610. Wes, we all thought the NFC South was going to be really not even one of. We mm-hmm. thought it was going to be the worst division in all of the NFL. Mm-hmm. But now the Buccaneers, they moved to 2-0 after beating Minnesota Week 1. They take care of Chicago Week 2. Atlanta takes care of Carolina Week 1. And then they come back and beat the Green Bay Packers, who choked this game away. Atlanta comes back. Bijan Robinson looks fantastic once again. I think 160 yards of total offense. I think there was maybe 60 receiving. We can look it up in a second, but the dude was good. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Drake London finally got involved, and Desmond Ritter had some decent throws. He wasn't fantastic the rest of the the entire game, but I think he looked better in this one than he did against Carolina when there was just zero depth on any of his targets. So quarterback, 
You're hoping to see him play better and better and better if you are a Falcons fan. All that to say, has your view changed on the NFC South after two weeks? Uh, Yes, because I felt like coming in, though, I didn't quite want to give them the moniker of being the worst because I just knew, like I said, that the playoffs teams, you always get those surprise teams every year. You don't know where it's going to come from, who is it going to be. And so I felt like that this division definitely had the potential of having a surprise team because – There were a lot of teams, frankly, that people counted out, whether you talk about Carolina, Atlanta, or Tampa. A lot of people I felt were solid with the New Orleans brand. But when you look at this division now, if Carolina does not win this game tonight, they're in an 0-2 hole. Everybody else is 2-0. Now, will everybody sustain that? We don't know. But you'd like to think at least maybe two of those teams and at minimum, one of those teams are going to be the real deal. And so which one will it be? But I think this is Carolina's worst nightmare as far as if this team does have two to three for real teams, then that kind of speeds up the clock on the Panthers as far as how good they need to be, how quickly. You don't have time to take three to four games to get solid footing under you. You need to get better and show what you can do right now. All right, so Atlanta has Philadelphia coming up next. They got them in a week's worth of time. That's got a Monday night football next week against Philadelphia, okay? That's going to be an L, we expect, for Tampa. The next game, on the road against New Orleans. Now, that's a game that Tampa could win after what they've done the first two weeks, but I'll know I'll have New Orleans as the favorite, especially with New Orleans playing at home. And at that point, we're talking about Tampa going 2-2. and And then you have Detroit at home. Now, Detroit loses to Seattle after the Seahawks lost to the Rams, but... The Rams are showing you that, hey, maybe we're not the team that's competing for Caleb Williams anymore. We actually have a pretty good team, certainly better than what you expected. I would say Tampa Bay is going to start this season two and five. Wes, I think that they're, excuse me, two and three. I expect they're going to lose the next three games. You even have the Bills a week after the Falcons. And I think the Falcons are a better football team overall. They're two and oh as well. Point being, the schedule gets a lot harder. I could see them being Minnesota. Even if I had the Vikings winning, I still can see that, especially with just the defense not being very good right now. Minnesota is going to be susceptible to big plays, and that's exactly how Mike Evans was able to beat them. The Bears, they're in a lot of trouble, even after all of the moves they made this offseason. Justin Fields isn't playing well. Throwing a pick six on your, you know, in your own end zone, it's going to help. It's going to help Tampa Bay move to 2-0. I don't think my view has changed a ton yet. If Tampa Bay beats Philadelphia, all right. I'll I'll say, look, I apologize to Baker for, well, at least I'll say Baker's playing a lot better than I thought, and he's playing a lot better than what he did last year. You don't year. strike me as a guy that concedes easily. Well, am I wrong <laughs> for saying Baker was bad last no, no, year? No, not at all. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I can only go off of what I saw the last couple of years. Cleveland wanted to move on, and Carolina and L.A. both wanted to move on. And Baker is playing well. That's that's great if it he gets the job done against Philadelphia. And then talking about Atlanta, there are a lot of people that were high on them, Wes. People thought Arthur Smith was going to be a good play caller. You have a good running team. Bijan looks very good. I'm starting to get the hang of that, right, by the way. Bijan Robinson instead of Bijan. We're, we're starting to change that. So, yeah. Let's I don't call know. him the perfect back. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're – look, how can you not be high on him? The guy looks fantastic. I think – Tampa Bay has the biggest potential to change my mind completely because that defense, no doubt, it's it's very good, and we were giving them a lot of credit. But their offense is holding up. Baker Mayfield's playing well enough to win these games, so they have potential to make the biggest change of my mind. But overall, 
Yeah, I'm not there yet as far as how differently you I view see the division. Just a little bit more. Huh? I do. I do. I yeah. seem a little different. Yeah, and and that's understandable because we see it all the time in the NFL. Teams start two and zero. Teams start zero and two. Teams because there's going to be a team that starts zero and two that's going to surge and make a comeback. There could be one or two teams that do that, and there's going to be teams that are going to go in the opposite direction. Tampa's an easy culprit to look at as a team that could go in the opposite direction. Uh, these games that they have coming up are very tough victories, but then again, we thought probably out of the first two games, they would at least lose to Minnesota. They surprised there. And so that's going to be the tricky part about them. But if I had to pick a team that I don't think is for real. That's another team, Walk. I'm with you where I feel like Tampa has to show me just a little bit more, but I'm a little bit more high on them than you are just because of the surprise factor in the NFL year after year. But this upcoming schedule is definitely going to prove the tale of the tape with them, especially that Philadelphia game. How does that look? Do they hang in there? Do they get embarrassed or whatnot? And so Atlanta, though, I'm a little bit more of a believer in because I yeah. think for them the formula is simple. Just get a, just get average to above average football out of Desmond Ritter, which they got on Sunday. Uh, get a little bit of pass rush from your guys because that defense came to play late in that ball game to get them those possessions back to be able to win that football game. And their secondary, when you talk about much improved, when you look at what, what they've been able to do, they're getting enough pass rush, I feel like, when they need it because we know in the fourth quarter against the Panthers, they turned up. And then also against the Green Bay Packers, they also turned up the pressure on them late in that football game as well, whether it was Bud Dupree or any of those guys. But Jesse Bates and A.J. Terrell in that secondary are very formidable. And so this Atlanta team, with all of the weapons that they have on offense, Drake London finally got involved. The more they get Pitts involved, the better. I called B. John the uh, perfect back. And then uh, Mac Hollins is a guy that just makes those little plays here and there, just like he did against Carolina when he caught that third down, I believe it was. Caught a big pass against Green Bay on Sunday. He's just that guy that's just, you forget about him, and then he makes a big play on you. Um, Fitty, you were shaking your head with Atlanta, so let's get your opinion on this. You don't like Atlanta. You still need to see more before you start to believe From in them. the bites. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, I told you guys this down there in the fishbowl. They... They remind me of a lot of last year's Giants. I don't know how good they truly are. Brian Dayball, the Giants head coach, scheme god. Arthur Smith, scheme god. They're going to they're gonna out-scheme their opponents week in, week out. The thing is that they play hard. Because I thought in the middle of the third quarter, Green Bay was going to put the game away. They never did. Um, they go for it on a couple of four downs. They go up and win the game. But we saw what happened with the Giants in the playoffs last year. And it's very evident this year they're not a good football team. For me, I think there's more belief in Tampa because Baker's a better quarterback than Desmond Ritter. I was going to ask, who do you trust more? Yeah. The unknown of the, Desmond Ritter or of the known from past seasons with Baker Mayfield? The problem with Tampa is, is Todd Bowles is their head coach. And look, a lot of people around the league, they speak highly of a man that's got a below 500 record. But granted, he's been the Jets and the Bucks head coach. I don't know if I trust him as much as I trust Arthur Smith week in, week out. He's a good defensive mind. He is. We have not seen him make smart decisions as the head coach. And even still, it takes some pretty massive mistakes, especially against Chicago, in order to get the job done. Like I, I think there's a difference between Jesse Bates putting his foot in the ground and making a couple of really nice plays, cheating up on the depth and getting that interception in the middle of the field against Bryce Young. When you talk about Shaq Barrett, it's still a good play from Shaq, but man, what an awful throw in that in that screen pass that was intercepted for a pick six. 
I mean, Tampa, they went out and won the game with a couple of deep shots to Mike Evans, one that went for a touchdown when it got chased down. But, you know, it's not like he's the crazy speedster, right? Just a really good player. We've seen it for a decade now. Baker Mayfield is connecting with his number one receiver in a way that he hasn't ever. Not in a while, but we know what happened with Odell Beckham Jr. He is the one that was the DJ Moore killer. <laughs> like, DJ Moore would get 1,100 yards with any other quarterback. Sam Darnold, 1,100 yards. P.J. Walker, he was connecting with DJ. But when Baker Mayfield, nope, we're going to keep you from getting to 1,000 yards this season. And he's connecting with his number one receiver in Mike Evans right now. So maybe, and I saw Josh Norris talk about this too on Twitter. He said something to note. Tampa Bay has the QB coach that worked with Geno Smith in his career mm. reclamation last year. Yeah. And so maybe you can point to the QB coach and saying he figured something out with Baker to help him restart his career in a 2-0 start for Tampa. And I'm not going to completely just diss Desmond Ritter to this point because you talk about the, the preseason and the first regular season game basically being preseason game number four. But this is a guy, if Atlanta can get 19 or 32 for 237 yards, a touchdown pass, a touchdown rushing, and an interception out of Ritter on most weeks, I think that's a great recipe for them. Uh, this is a guy this season that I said that that's all they needed from him. He had a really good QBR, but for right now he's completing 68% of his passes over 350 yards, two touchdowns to one interception. And I think from Ritter, man, that's all you need. And I know the Carolina game, it wasn't spectacular, but he was still 15 of 18. Now, a lot of the completions were short. And then also when you look at this Atlanta passing attack, there was explosion there. Drake London's long of the day was 24. Mac Hollins had a 45-yard catch. B. John had a 29-yard catch. John o. Smith had a 17-yard catch. I don't know what they're going to have to do to get Kyle Pitts involved. But he had his longest of the day was nine. But there was explosive plays in that passing game. So I think if you can get that from Ritter, man, that's all you need with all the things that Atlanta had. By the way, just that name I was mentioning, Dave Canales, that is the Tampa Bay OC. And he was Geno's QB coach last year. Okay. So maybe something to monitor to see if this is legit with what Baker is doing with Tampa Bay right now. Let's take a quick break. Go to the last hour, the live wire. It's coming up next. It's Wesson Walker Connect. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.